0: Well, I don't know about you out there watching in internet land, but when it gets to be Friday, there's a sense of relief, I would think, in all of our lives. Some have more stressful lives than others. I'll put mine up against anybody's stress at this point. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Green Rush Live, our regularly scheduled business cannabis talk show or cannabis business talk show, depending on which way you listen. We are so excited about talking about this subject today because of what happened in Washington, D.C. yesterday. And if it sounds familiar, like a deja vu all over again, it's exactly almost to the week when Chuck Schumer introduced federal legalization framework for draft purposes, for feedback purposes. And it took him a year to basically... We release it after getting some feedback from the industry. Now, joining me as co-host today will be Josh Kincaid, he of the Talking Hedge, he from Washington State. Hello, Josh. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jimmy. And as always, it's usually the third Friday of every month, but we skipped the first one just because we were on vacation. Uh, Morgan Fox from Normal joins us from Washington, DC. And obviously there's a buzz in Washington, DC that has nothing to do with the hearings from the last couple of days. It actually has to do from the cannabis industry because there's hope on the horizon that perhaps something in a reform package Will actually get to the floor to be debated by the U.S. Senate, Morgan Fox. Thank you again for joining us. What's your reactions to what went on yesterday?
1: Well, it was great to finally see this legislation actually be officially introduced after uh, waiting, uh, you know, a year from the seeing the draft legislation, and it was also great to see that the engagement that Senate Majority Leadership has had with stakeholders across the political spectrum has actually made it into the bill in a lot of places. Um, You know, I think that this is kind of unique experience for us that uh, not only do we have leadership promoting uh, cannabis policy reform, but we actually also have them actively listening to uh, what people are saying. You know, clearly there are still going to be some problems with this bill that we all have to dig into over the coming months. But uh, overall, I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, and, uh, you know, even though it probably doesn't have the votes to pass this year, uh, at the very least, it's going to be able to facilitate uh, really substantive conversations about cannabis policy reform, both uh, comprehensive and incremental. And we've already got our first uh, hearing uh, set up in uh, the uh, Judiciary Subcommittee for uh, Counterterrorism and Crime on Tuesday. So you know, already this bill is having uh, one of my desired
0: effects. There you go. Um, you, you said that this this bill has changed a little bit from the original draft. You know, one of the things that stuck out on that original draft was an exorbitant federal tax. Please tell me that they've adapt. They brought that down a little bit,
1: not particularly. <laughs> um, and that's definitely something that we're going to have to work on. Um, you know, big businesses are going to pay uh, starting at 10 percent and then moving up to 25 percent after five years. Small businesses are gonna pay 5% moving up to 12.5% after five years. And uh, honestly, that's just too much. And uh, you know, lawmakers need to realize that when you're dealing with an established unregulated market competition, you need to set the tax rates as low as possible in order to help displace that market And uh, if you do that, then you will be able to realize much greater tax revenues in the long term in order to be able to fund all of the restorative justice programs that we absolutely want to fund that are included in this uh, legislation.
0: There you go. Josh, you're you're someone who has uh, looked at far more spreadsheets than I have. Uh, Does it seem that the federal government is doing everything they possibly can to kind of Slow down the green rush in Washington D.C. and make it as difficult as possible for this industry to survive.
2: This one seems really vague, you know, where they want to have a lot of bureaucracy involved. There's at least three federal bureaus that are involved at minimum, right? And then they kind of throw in random stuff in there, like, uh, you know, we're going to ban all additives in vapes, natural or or otherwise. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of different things coming out here. So it's, it's obviously built and developed by lobbyists for their, their clients. Uh, and it's not really to kind of drive a path, in my opinion. So no, this is kind of just throwing a blanket out there. And I'm not really sure um, if it's going to solve anything, because it seems that there's, they're building a lot without thinking it through. And, and how that's going to actually be executed is probably a nightmare.
1: I mean, I, I would actually kind of uh, go at it in a little bit of the opposite direction, that uh, this bill actually represents a lot of problems for the industry and particularly uh, like you know larger businesses. Um, so, I mean, I don't necessarily think that it is being tailored to the lobbyists. I think it's more being tailored to the lawmakers that are uh, either misinformed or are uh, Uh, just not knowledgeable enough about the actual needs of the industry, um, or of regulated cannabis systems, period. Uh, But that being said, they did take a lot of people's uh, uh, input into uh, account. And, uh, you know, overall, I think that, you know, this bill is clearly going to have to be tweaked a little bit. But, um, you know, the fact remains that it doesn't have the votes to pass in the current Congress. So, (laughs) Uh, It does represent an excellent starting point for conversations that are much more substantive and much more farther reaching than we've ever had in the Senate. And so now we have the opportunity to actually have legislation to look at and to start uh, uh, debating some of the finer points of exactly how to end prohibition. Um, And I think one of the good things that will come from this bill, I mean, my fingers crossed, that... uh, we will be able to pull some parts of this or at least the legislation will be able to help us inform our discussions about potentially passing more incremental legislation like banking and expungement and potentially access for small businesses to the SBA program uh, that will be a huge step forward. And while, you know, clearly won't end prohibition, which is what we all want to happen, uh, will get us farther in that direction than uh, we could have had we not gotten the go ahead to actually start talking about those issues with the introduction of this bill.
0: You know, um, we've had your old pal Michael Correa on here a bunch of times, and he always referred to the safe banking as low hanging fruit. It's part of this bill. Is that the one thing that you think the other side of the aisle will be willing to accept? And maybe that is the incremental step you're looking for?
1: Well, I think the GOP would uh, support safe banking before almost any other sort of positive cannabis policy reforms. Um, That being said, the Democrats want to see that be beefed up a little bit in order to help protect uh, uh, against like predatory lending and uh, make sure that uh, small businesses, particularly those represented by marginalized communities are able to access the the benefits that uh, could come with uh, having safe harbor for financial institutions to be able to work with cannabis companies. And so uh, the the language that's in CAOA uh, kind of provides a blueprint for exactly what Democrats wanna see when it comes to banking language. Uh, some of that stuff might be a little bit too far for the GOP to get on board with, but I think that it does provide a pathway in terms of language that specifically protects against uh, uh, predatory discriminatory practices and also uh, provides guidance for the financial services industry to uh, know exactly how to interact with the cannabis industry in a way that's not going to draw congressional ire.
0: Yeah. I. You know. Josh, are you confident at all about this or not?
2: No, I was in banking. I just look at the, this launch of a 10-year pilot program for Small Business Administration, and I never in my entire career saw one SBA loan go through. So I, I think that they've got a laundry list of, of catchphrases that sound good on paper, but like I was mentioning, the execution of this, I'm not uh, I just don't I think it's going to be like walking through molasses It's going to be really slow if it works at all. And being in Washington, the one of the first states that did regulate cannabis, um, we pushed it through thinking, like, if there's something wrong, we'll just go back and change it. And and things don't work out like that. Kind of like the Class C felony on, on maintaining and operating a marijuana lounge. That, that, fel- that the felony that they put on there was in 2016. Or 2015, and, and it still is there. So there's like no room for talking about certain uh, laws or, or overturning, you know, these rules. So I would look at something like an equitable licensing grant program being something that they need, but how's it going to be executed? And, and uh, you know, we, we talk about offering these equity licenses, and it just it doesn't ever seem to Come to fruition yet it seems really slow so if it does happen that's great but i think that there's a lot of things that are on the paper here but the like i mentioned the execution of it uh, i'm not gonna hold my breath
1: yeah well i mean washington state has had uh you know it still hasn't been able to legalize home cultivation and uh, is just now getting around to having serious conversations about uh social equity and licensing Um, some states have gone faster than that, some states have gone way slower than that, Uh, but I I think you're absolutely right, you know, once the law is written, it's very difficult to uh, get changes in it, Um, sometimes it can be a bit of an uphill battle, so I think it's very important at the federal level that we get this right uh, the first time, or at least as close as we can, and then if we need to go back and make changes, then, you know, we have the opportunity to do so, Uh, but they should be the smallest changes that we can possibly manage so that we can actually make them be a little bit more doable.
0: Is, the, are they, is it basically, is this creating a, a federal, uh, you told me, I, I heard three different divisions at the federal level to oversee the industry or are they going to uh, piggyback off the alcohol and beverage and FDA and the DEA, the um, Department of Agriculture, uh, which th- have they picked three that they like uh, and that they are going to try and work with, or are they creating more bureaucracy at the federal level with this bill?
1: Yeah. So, Treasury would be in charge of a lot of the taxation and uh, licensing issues, but then most of the uh, regulatory issues would be controlled by uh, the uh, the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, uh, the FDA, and the ATF. Um, but there, and while this bill actually does create a lot of uh, the uh, the structure for that beforehand, there would still be a lot of questions that need to be answered in terms of individual agency policy decisions and developments of those specific policies. Um, that being said, it also creates uh, you know additional departments within uh, existing agencies to deal with things like the opportunity fund and the uh, the, the cannabis justice. Uh, um, Department, So, uh, you know, there would be additional, uh, um, you know, bureaucracy involved there, uh, but at the same time, I think that it's absolutely necessary in some cases to create that because, uh, you know, there are things that are specific about the cannabis industry and about cannabis policy generally that aren't necessarily immediately one-to-one transferable with other uh, agencies' responsibilities and that need to have experts placed in uh, charge of it that have knowledge on the specific issue space, as opposed to just trying to shoehorn it into existing agency responsibilities.
0: Yeah. Uh, Gorski in our uh, chat room brings up a, a great point. And I something I hear often when I'm out in the trenches at different dispensaries or trade shows um, that, it, it it almost seems like they they want the small businesses to fail, and that kind of opens the door for the big MSOs who continue to just get bigger and bigger. And and Josh, your comment about the SBA in general uh, kind of freaks me out a little bit because how are we ever going to grow, you know, our economy without the power of small business? Because small business eventually could become. Big business, if they're successful, but if there's so many roadblocks, it there's almost like a uh, a drive to the end, the the end, and and failure, and I, I, that concerns me, um, Morgan. Uh, I know that you're not in charge, you're not the the cannabis czar, but if you were, uh, what exactly would you like to? What is the framework? Is decriminalization, and descheduling, and the banking? Those are the three biggest issues, aren't there? Aren't they?
1: Well, I mean, descheduling takes care of decriminalization uh, right. de facto, um, and uh, obviously, like we cannot move forward with uh, you know a, a rational and sensible national cannabis policy without descheduling. Um, you know, rescheduling is going to be a nightmare for the states if they wanted to get into compliance, I mean, they're out of compliance now, but if they wanted to get into compliance with a, uh, like a schedule two or a schedule three setup, uh, it would be a total disaster and would basically gut every single existing uh, medical and adult use system. Um, So, you know, descheduling is really the ultimate goal. um, But there are all sorts of things that we need to consider along with that. And I mean, there are a lot of other issues uh, just beyond that, uh, related to things like interstate commerce and exactly what that looks like. What does import-export look like? Uh, you know, really top of mind for me is what does the tax rate look like? Uh, because, you know, the existing tax rate is just simply too high, uh, you know, compared to the, uh, the SRA or the Moore Act. Uh, we're looking at uh, just a massive tax rate that, uh, you know, at, at the end of this five-year implementation period would be almost on par with where a lot of businesses are with 280E at this point. And that's not a good way to disrupt the unregulated market and bring in more tax revenue overall. So, uh, you know, aside from everything else that we're talking about, about this bill, we really need to look at the taxes involved, because that is going to be something that is going to be hobbling the industry from day one. Um,
0: Didn't this happen in California recently? Didn't they have to change the tax code?
1: Yeah, they just uh, uh, reduced the taxes pretty heavily. Um, And, uh, you know, I think that's not without precedent either. Colorado has done that in the past. I think several other states have done so as well, uh, which is kind of mind blowing when you look at policy overall, because it's really hard to get politicians to drop the taxes on anything once they get used to that revenue. But uh, I think that There is uh, enough of a groundswell of support for uh, decreasing taxes on the cannabis industry so that it can be more competitive with the existing unregulated market that uh, politicians are actually starting to listen and are starting to realize that this is a way to get more tax revenue in the long term.
0: And, and, and it's not going away. I mean, you know, there, there's 19 states now that have adult use programs. Some are vibrant and have been around for, for a long time, like Washington State and Colorado. And, and some are barely getting going, like New Jersey and New York. And, you know, I keep hearing good things about the New York State's issuing of licenses to the economic empowered applicants that are out there. And I find that to be a great development. New York is trying to do it Right. Is that how you view what's going on in New York, Morgan?
1: It's definitely moving in the right direction. And I think it's one of the most forward-thinking programs that we've uh, seen so far. Uh, You know, we're going to have to see how it actually uh, turns out. Uh, You know, we've seen in cases like Illinois where there were a lot of good intentions and then uh, the actual application and implementation did not really turn out the way that people wanted it to. And then things got bogged down in lawsuits uh, meanwhile, the bigger businesses are further getting entrenched in uh, and like solidifying their market share uh, while everybody else is fighting over the scraps. Uh, you know, I think, you know, this isn't something that necessarily is an issue at the uh, federal level, but it could become so when you start getting into interstate commerce is that we need to get rid of license caps, period. License caps are the biggest problem for uh, competitiveness in this industry.
0: Mm-hmm. So. So you, three isn't going to be enough per state. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: No, it, it would, there should be zero license caps anywhere. I yeah. Uh, it, Free market. Yeah. Honestly, like uh, social equity programs should be more based upon providing funding uh, mechanisms and uh, uh, additional training and assistance to uh, qualifying members, as opposed to having a specific set of licenses that are uh, devoted to them because, uh, you know, there are a ton of problems with that already. Um, but also you know these uh, these uh, the people that are are trying to get these licenses are competing against each other instead of competing against the larger market. If we get rid of license caps, you drop the barriers to entry significantly across the board and give everybody a chance to be successful.
0: Well, it sounds like. See, you convince me every time you come on the show. I'm, I'm easily convinced too. I might add, but I, I I always think that there's there's a simple, a simple way to success here. And and whenever a government gets involved, they just make it more and more complicated with more and more layers of government, and bureaucracy, and rules and regulations. And we all recognize that this is the most regulated industry that has launched and has been as successful in its first decade. Uh, But how how let me ask you a question, Morgan. When you go in, you talk to a, a member of the GOP, okay, who is adamant about legalizing, decriminalizing, opening the banks for cannabis, how do you break them down? How do you how do you rationally try to explain to them why that makes that type of thinking is passe?
1: Well, it really depends on the individual and exactly where their, you know, pressure points and priorities are. Um, You know, some of them are more interested in states' rights. Some of them are more interested in free markets. uh, Some of them are more interested in uh, controlling the cannabis industry in such a way as to supposedly, uh, you know, minimize consumption, period, both adults and teens. And you just have to show them the science. And the experiences of these other states, and show them like, look, the states that have either much more open licensing programs have more competitive businesses and have more small businesses that are successful. Uh, every state that regulates cannabis uh, has either flatline or decreased teen usage. Uh, you know, it just really depends on exactly what their uh, their pressure points and concerns are, and uh, luckily. We've got the science behind us
0: and and i i always bring up the colorado study now that shows that teen use in colorado has gone down since legalization so to me there's no better set of results or research to share with those who always talk well what about the kids and i keep saying the kids know more about this than the adults did 30 40 50 years ago they still do that being said We need to educate the parents. We need to educate the um, small town politicians, and as well as the entire public, which, you know, with no public service announcements and no anything that major media is doing. uh, Let me ask you a question, Um, Josh and Morgan. I got to, did anybody see a story on national news about what happened yesterday, Morgan? Yeah, a
1: fair amount. Um, But I mean, uh, going back to your earlier point, um, you know, some of the things that uh, uh, prohibitionists like to talk about a lot are, you know, the teen use rate and we saw that in the last year or so uh, Colorado teen use has dropped by like something like 30%. I mean it's ridiculous. Uh, but a lot of people like to cite uh, increases in pediatric accidental ingestion ER uh, admissions. and. When, you know, while that sounds scary, when you actually look at the numbers, you're talking about a couple hundred cases where there are a 100,000 plus admissions uh, in the United States for consumption or accidental consumption of cosmetics alone. All right. So we're talking about a very, very small number overall, but uh, what looks like a big percentage uh, uptick um and that's something that uh, prohibitionists like to cite all the time but what they don't talk about is the fact that like a none of these kids are dying from accidental ingestion of cannabis b uh people are a lot more likely to take their kids to the emergency room when they know that they don't have to worry about getting arrested or getting custody removed because of that accidental ingestion and c uh you know when you really get right down to it this is an issue of parental responsibility And, uh, you know, a lot of the people that uh, like to, you know, hem and haw about uh, this sort of stuff uh, really completely ignore the fact that when it comes down to it, you're responsible for the safety of your own home. Right.
0: Right. And educating your children. And it would help if you were educated to do that, too.
1: And, And public education across the board is something that is useful. I mean, we saw that instituted in Colorado in terms of telling people like, Uh, you know, start low, go slow when you're eating edibles, uh, you know, storing your edibles and other cannabis products out of reach of children. You know, we've seen in state after state, these public uh, service educational programs that are having a real impact. And that, you know, we've seen the same thing with uh, with tobacco and uh, alcohol that public education does way more than uh, criminal penalties could ever do in terms of uh, promoting responsible behavior.
0: Right. hundred percent on that, Morgan. We're, we're all for it. Josh, you got any other things you want to add uh, or ask um, Morgan before we break? It's okay. No uh, pressure. No pressure. You know,
2: there, there might be more synthetic urine on the market. If there's no federal drug testing, there's going to be some of, you know, these drug tests that are no longer needed. Uh, and then people can go out and buy their 10 ounces at the federal level. I think that's a great thing.
0: <laughs> uh That's not something I see on the shelf of the the stores that I shop in. Is is that in Washington state?
2: Well, you got to go to like a a head shop or whatever to get the the fake pee, but yeah, it's out there.
0: It works. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Morgan Fox, as always a pleasure uh, to talk with you, sir. Uh, Support normal, support all those institutions out there that are in the trenches, making the difference in Washington, DC, trying hard to do that and coming up after this break we've got two groups uh i think morgan's very familiar with one of them uh the ncia uh aaron smith is coming on he is the official i think he's the ceo and the executive director amber littlejohn of mcba the minorities cannabis business association so that's what's coming up next don't go away it's 4:20. kick back enjoy and we'll be back with more of green rush live after this don't go away